Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome, everybody, to the Ruthless Variety Program. We hope everyone had as good a 4th of July as we did, and I know that Joey Chestnut did. Absolutely incredible. I mean, did that announcer, like, take a molly before? That is the, like, all-time greatest hype intro ever. I mean, I was watching it live, and I literally just wanted to pause the television and redo it, like, five times. You could see the guy with his straw sort of 4th of July hat putting the thing on. Man, he sounded... Incredible. That's the best hype video of all time. Of all time. Hands down. Fortune. Fortune. <laughs> well, that was, anyway, for those of you who didn't follow it, Joey Chestnut, uh, his, the world champion hot dog eater, has been for as long as I can remember. Uh, he's an American, which is the important part, because he wins on the 4th of July, and he ate 76 hot dogs. Yeah, I remember years ago, there was that guy, uh, Kobayashi, yeah. who used to be you know, king of the hill. In Chestnut that, took his, took him out. Chestnut back to back. Yes. So they they did this on the Fourth of July, and it was it was Kobayashi, who I think was from Japan, and he would wear like the Japanese flag in on his on his forehead, and this guy like straight up American flag came up and stole it, and I think he's had it ever since. It's been like ten years. I mean, it's a great it's a great tradition, you know, Fourth of July eating contest. Uh, I also want to say I'm very disappointed in Jesse Hunt. He was supposed to have. <laughs> Uh, an eating contest where he's going to eat five pounds of shrimp cocktail in 30 minutes, and he failed to follow through, folks. So if you know Jesse today, let him <laughs> know we're all program. disappointed in him. Okay. All right. Well, I, let me just say uh, five pounds of shrimp's a lot, but I, I mean. Well, it's doable. It's doable. The guy was a, 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 a college athlete. If you can't put down five pounds of shrimp cocktail, you know, put your money where your mouth is. The have guy you, have you ever participated in an eating contest yourself? <sighs> Mostly drinking contests. Yeah. Not as much the eating. Yeah. How about you, Dunks? Ever? Um, we did it in college once. Uh, I did buffalo wings. Hmm. Uh, puked everywhere. <laughs> How many wings did you get down? Like 45. <laughs> I feel like that's a lot of wings. I feel like you can do better than that. You would think so, but it just becomes so monotonous. You know, just the act of just oh, yeah. chewing chicken, 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 no. and just hot. It not becomes good. a texture thing. Yeah, yeah, not good. Well, I was I was actively speculating yesterday on Twitter. Like, I love watching the hot dog thing. It's disgusting. It's yeah. absolutely revolting yeah. to watch. It, it's not like eating a normal hot dog. They're like dipping it in water and just like, yeah, then they inhaling just it, force it down their throat. But but like, I would pay pay per view money to have a, a full day program on what he's doing today. 
See, that's the thing. Like, what does it sound? Yeah. So, what does that look so, like? so a lot of folks were like, he was like, I guess shaking when he, when he was on his way, you know, up to the stage. Yeah. And, and like, that's a good question. Like, there's got to be some like documentary on this, like the life these people live, because he put down that has to be what how many thousand know. calories? Like that can't be like a normal. You're not. What does that do like, to your digestion? It's not like a Thanksgiving system. day, and then you know, you, oh, you're sleepy. This guy's eating like 70, no. 76 hot dogs. I mean, I want to know what the day after seventy six hot dogs look like. Yeah, can't be pretty. It can't be good. It can't be good. <laughs> All right. So listen, I had a great fourth. Did a lot of cooking. Uh, had a good time, but I also noticed there was a ton of activity for the Ruthless merch on the internet. That was good to see. There was a lot of stuff. I saw a lot of great photos, a lot of people celebrating. You love to see it. God bless America. You love to see it. There is no better way to celebrate America than with Ruthless merch. That's throw right. a flag on, throw Ruthless merch. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't gotten any merch yet, go on over to store.ruthlesspodcast.com. Or just go to our website. You'll see the link. And we're going to start putting all this stuff up. We, we had a nice last week, but we're going to start putting all this stuff up on Instagram, too. So Well, know. so we, we <laughs> you had a great photo uh, from when you were grilling oh, on, yeah. the, on the 4th where you you had the American flag overalls, overalls yeah. and then the ruthless shirt underneath it. And I saw somebody on, on Twitter uh, turned it into like a like a art, like a work of art. <laughs> Yeah. It was incredible. It was well done. Was did did I tell you, fellas, I saw my first Ruthless shirt in the wild. You did? Yeah, I was out running. Saw someone who was also out running. And I was like, well, that's awesome. I'm not going to like run over and stop you, but hey, dude who was out there on Thursday, good work. A yeah. friend of the program and a healthy one at that. A healthy one. Nice. I love it. You don't see that every day. That's great. Um, okay, let's get into it. Guys, did you notice this uh, Chinese? I know this is a thing for you. Smug. Yeah, it, this, this is this is one of my hot button. Things. This is like we've talked a lot about the choo choos here, and but mm-hmm. basically that the Biden the entirety of the Biden infrastructure plan and like what they like to do is just build choo choos. Yeah, uh, that's not the way they see it in China. So essentially, for for the Biden administration, any left wing garbage policy they want, they say is infrastructure. They're like, oh, you know, uh, ballot harvesting is infrastructure. Uh, <laughs> Mayor Pete, choo choo trains, that's infrastructure. It's because all they want is it, it, these are all people who grew up in the Northeast went to their boarding schools in the Northeast, went to their college in the Northeast. So they think infrastructure, it's like, you know, when I would take the train from New York to New Haven. Folks, that's not infrastructure. China has built is building a space station, right? They're building a space station. There was an article in uh, the Washington Post recently about, uh, you know, they had satellites pick up photos. China's building, like, tons of ICBM nuclear silos. All right. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, ones that are capable of flying. Let me see what the number was. It was like 9,000 some miles, which basically means they're capable of hitting the U.S. mainland. And we're checking out Amtrak. That's 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 the problem. That's the problem. It's like right now, you know, we're dealing with the administration and the press. They're like, OK, our our main coverage of infrastructure is going to be ice cream. Ice cream is infrastructure. <laughs> you know what? What did Biden have today for ice cream? You got. So what you're referring to is a video over the weekend. Was it on the 4th? I think it was, yeah, I think it was on, I think it was on the fourth at a drop. But did he get two scoops? Because I've heard that's he terrible. Did. He did. <sighs> and see, that's the thing is like. Remember when Donald Trump got two scoops and the whole world freaked out? It was out. an international incident. <laughs> They're like, oh my gosh, he had two scoops. So, so Biden, you know, basically the only thing he's mentally capable of is ordering ice cream at I this point. It looked pretty rough. The order didn't look like it went off without a hitch, though. I'll be honest. It he attacks like the thing like an anaconda. 
And not normal. Well, I saw that too. You know, I mean, we talked a little bit about this, like how you handle state fair food, because we were talking about the Iowa appearance yeah, that yeah. we're all gonna and we're all gonna eat a lot of food. We're probably gonna have contests and whatnot. But there's a political way of handling all of that, right? So you don't get the picture, right? That makes you look like you're attacking it, like an anaconda. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. Oh, you know, well, you know, so you had a corn dog. You do that thing with two hands. You rip off a little be- a, a, a piece of it. Yeah, and you pop it in your mouth. Nobody wants to just stick right. the corn. Right, dog you get a it. huge waffle cone of ice cream. You, you get a spoon. You, <laughs> you eat it like an adult. Well, here's the thing: is I never, get, I, mean? I, I never even get a waffle cone. I mean, this is the most ridiculous approach to eating ice cream. The thing's gonna melt. It's gonna be all over your hands. It's a goddamn mess. Right. Get right. it in a cup. Like even you know when the Mister Softy truck would roll up. It's a hot day. I'd be like, all right, uh, yeah, I want the cone, but. Put it upside down in a cup. It's because I still want the waffle cone. It's an interesting question because I, I too, find myself ordering in the cup. Yeah. Get, right? get the waffle cone and then ask them for a, a, you know, a large drink cup. Then you put or it in you can get down. the crushed up waffle cone as a topping in the cup. I'm not yeah. going to hassle the guy, man. The right. If you're big on the cone. There's a right. line at the truck. I'm not demanding five-star service. Crush up the waffle cone. Well, I'm just saying, it's, you know, if you, if you go into an ice cream <laughs> shop, it's one of the toppings that they provide. I'm not asking for something special. Guys rolling made. up to the ice cream truck wanting valet. Yeah, he was like, "Hey, take my keys," <laughs> and a double scoop player at it. Well, that's the other crazy thing is, so like when I saw the video, Biden is like two scoop ice cream, right? <laughs> and they're like, "What the hell? Is this guy gonna fall out?" And then they're like, 15 bucks." I was like, "What?" Like, talk about buying inflation, so, 15 wait, bucks. So I saw that, too. Was it just his ice cream that was 15 bucks? I don't I don't know if they're like— Was he buying for the store? 15 bucks. That's a pricey for, ice cream that, outfit. That is. And then they're like, meanwhile, you know, theoretically, you could have saved 16 cents. I saw that. Your, that's that's a, I, incredible. I'm shocked at this messaging yeah. that, come, that came from the White House. It, they're like, you could possibly save 16 cents, even though every measure— <laughs> You know, we can go down to the science. The CPI keeps going up. Economists were worried about that. We weren't supposed to be facing this kind of inflation, but the White House is straight up lying yeah, in, yet again. In, in case you missed that, our dear listeners, uh, the White House really leaned into this idea that Biden saved you a bunch of money on your 4th of July celebration by basically cherry picking like four items and being like, congratulations, you saved 16 cents. <laughs> yeah. Sure, gas is twice as expensive. And if you go travel anywhere, you will eat into any supposed profit you have. But, you know. Look at us. And that's, we did it. We and, did it. And, and it's just like such an insult to the American people where like you have Kamala's uh, Kamala Harris's kid is out in San Tropez on a yacht. Hey. Right. The same day that the White House is saying, hey, guys, we maybe see- you peasants can enjoy your 16 cent cheaper meal. Yeah, that's a tough look. Ugh. Well, look, in, in case you're too depressed about American decline, uh, there was one little bit of news that I thought was interesting. Uh, we're apparently now capable or trying to be capable of shooting down asteroids. Finally, some good news. Isn't that, wasn't that, what was that movie? Wasn't it Independence Day or whatever? No, no it was Deep it was, Impact? It, no, it was, it was um, not Apocalypse. Deep Impact, right? No, no, no. That was, that, that was when the asteroid hit us. Oh, it was okay. the Bruce Willis one. Yeah, yeah, Armageddon. Yeah. Armageddon. Armageddon. There we Armageddon. go. There oh, it is. I knew we'd get there, guys. Yeah. Good yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we can that do movie, that. Or that at movie least... owns. I love it so much. There was a story in the Boston Globe about how we're trying to do that, basically. That that we've, you know, we've prepared for century-long pandemics. Yeah. We've prepared for, you know, all kinds of things. What they're trying to prepare against is a asteroid 
that is coming to the earth that destroyed basically the dinosaurs. Right? Wow. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking like, yeah, that seems like it's plausible, right? So we ought to have something, uh, some kind of a space laser to deal with that. Apparently we're working on it. So it's a, I'm looking at this article now. It says, developed by a team of scientists from the Johns Hopkins University Applied F- Physics Laboratory and NASA's Planetary Defense Coordination he Office. just did the laboratory. DART. They're calling it DART, Double Asteroid Redirection Test. Can we just is, He stop? said laboratory. Can we stop? Is, is, What's with the laboratory? It's I like mean, how he says know. Peloton for Peloton. <laughs> how, do you, how is it you say Nevada? I'm just getting bullied. This is <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Oh, we went to the laboratory, and then we have you. Uh, what's the uh, mission yeah, design? Yeah, Sherlock, we're in the laboratory. Oh, good. Doomsday, sir. This is the only test. <laughs> Trying to educate the folks about our planetary No, oh, look, look, look. And yet again, I'm being attacked for presenting new ideas. <laughs> but look, okay. uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad they're doing this. So just to clarify, you know, this asteroid that they're going to target isn't an actual threat to us though. This is basically a dry run, right? Like yeah, right. But um, I mean that's good. Yeah, no, I I kind of take. I mean that was like one piece of good news. I thought, you know, we can blow up a, a thing. I'm just a little worried that like it's on us, the United States of America, to worry about this while China's building all these missile silos yeah, to yeah. ostensibly yeah. attack us. Yeah, yeah right. I, I, mean, I, I wonder what's we're going on with the space planet. station. Yeah, we're worried about the planet, and they're you know unleashing hell pandemics yeah. and building ICBM missile silos. Yeah. You know? No, that's a fair point. They're like, who cares about you know mutually assured destruction if they can get Xi up in, in the space station when they pop off? That's yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> we'll be stuck in the laboratory. Hell, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're just sitting around here. Anyway, all right. Now, this is listen. I, that's a good piece of news. More news. I feel like the biggest thing that's come out of last weekend is Hollywood news. It's huge. You know what we should do? Let's get some Hollywood hen. Oh, let's and also, also uh, a special treat. We have new music for Hollywood. Oh, hen. intro. So intro. Let's, let's play that intro music. That's a nice touch. That's a nice Dude. touch. That's some great music. I, I like the 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 shutters. Yeah, you know, I, the I, camera feel, I, I feel like I'm on the red carpet. Yeah, it's like you just popped right out of the limo yeah. onto the red carpet. With my Louboutins and all. And you're here mm-hmm. to give us the news. Yeah. So good. And you got an action-packed agenda here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we have a lot to cover. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with the breeziest stuff first, which is the couple news. Um, Gwen Stefani and Blake Shelton have officially tied the knot. On July 4th, they got married at um, Blake's ranch in Oklahoma. It was, for us, a surprise wedding. I don't know <laughs> such a surprise for them. But um, they were engaged for eight months, and everyone was kind of wondering when the wedding would take place. And now they're finally officially married. Because they never really set a date. They never set is... a date. They didn't really give tons of details other than Blake being like, I'm not planning this thing. <laughs> you know, if it were left to me, this would not be a classy affair. That's the kind of vibe well, he gave off. dude seems like authentically Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah. And I also, I didn't realize, um, I'm going to take this as one of my women oh. wins because Gwen Stefani's 51 and he's 45. Whoa. And so I'm going to go ahead and say this is a win for her. Whoa. That's a controversial take. Yeah. Smug, I'm, I'm going to go Who's got the higher net worth? <laughs> mm, I don't know. Ooh. I'm betting she does. 
I don't know. Those no doubt residuals are. He's made a lot on The Voice too. Isn't yeah. she also on one of those singing shows? She is, but I don't think she's like as. Well, permanent. I think they met on The Voice. Yeah, didn't they, they did. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're gonna jury's out, but that's a good submission. Yep. Yeah. Thank that you. could Thank potentially you. be. Gwen Stefani, Robin pe- the Cradle. People, people can tweet us about it and see where they stand. Okay. Although I tend to get hammered on Twitter. All that's right. <laughs> so you're gonna get you're gonna get you're gonna get ten replies that say dudes rock. I know. No matter what the scenario, nope. it's it's in some cases very inappropriate when they say dudes rock. Well, that's all in the eye of the beholder. Um, what else do we got? Okay, another one. This is this might be a surprise for people, but another woman win. Um, it has been reported that Angelina Jolie and The Weeknd were spotted at a couple dinner dates this past Wait, week. Wait, you're just going to claim that as a woman win? Yeah. Be- no, yeah, come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sh- Let me tell you, in a weird way, it's because Angelina Jolie is no prize at this point. Yeah, she's and up the there fact, in the years, right? And the fact, oh, that she's, and the fact that she's got The Weeknd? Absolutely, that's a win Wait, for is her. Wait, is the weekend the supermodel? Is this? He's not a supermodel. But he's a, he's a young hot thing who's making tons of money, doing his you know, in his peak and his yeah, he prime. He played the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he did play the Super Bowl. Remember the mirrors and the walking through, and he couldn't find his way out, and I was confused. It's by a, it. I'm just saying, it is a downgrade. He was I'm, with uh, what's her name, the model, the smoke show. What's her name? Bella Hadid. That's the one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying he's walked into Angel Angelina Jolie, who's in this like terrible divorce situation with brad pitt still she has six kids is like you know are they're not fully separated or something they're still working out the details in like the custody and everything it's a disaster honestly that is a win for her yeah yes smug Uh, that's an uncontested win that's an uncontested she she kissed her brother at one point yeah and remember dude she had one of the biggest and she had the um the the vial of blood remember and then all of a sudden within a matter of moments they were like Angelina Jolie is a saint after stealing somebody else's husband. Yeah. On top of all of that. Oh yeah, the the Brad Pitt thing. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's just like she had all these things, and then all of a sudden she became the like every woman's girl crush. You know, every yeah. celebrity would be like, oh Angelina Jolie, and it's like, no, this girl is not. Ooh, and I will say, uh, Jen Aston is is looking much better than Angelina Jolie. Oh, 100%. she does those like commercials for her products. Well, the one guy that always wins is Brad Pitt. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Win Dude, no matter what. Dude's I'll, rock. I will. Dude's I will. I, you know what? I will, I, I, will say, I will say that's the winner here. Brad Pitt <laughs> wins. Jolene weekend. I knew Brad we'd Pitt get wins. there. I knew there we'd get is. there. There it is. There it is. It's the victory. Yeah. We had to hunt around for it, but here we are. Holmes, you got an assist on that. I did. I did a setup. Okay. All right. Well, those are good couple news. And then uh, a follow up to one of the stories that we did before. Um, some Nick Cannon news. Oh yeah. Um, he gave just gave or his girlfriend just gave birth to his seventh child just <laughs> nine days after welcoming twins with his formal former flame so twins five six so he went from four to seven in under a month wait really yeah he's almost doubled up it's a lot this guy's setting up franchises it's okay a lot. so he's and he's stagger starting so yes. he's got he's got new girlfriend old girlfriend. girlfriend within nine days wow i just like you try to Go back some months and do some math on that, and that is, that is, but interesting. You gotta the hospital has to give like a volume discount at this point, but, you know. It's like he shows up, he's got a punch card. I'm like, right, we got a room. Hey, thanks for the business. <laughs> it's like a frequent flyer program for Nick Cannon. But wait, wait, wait. Seven kids. Do we have like a elapsed time or any idea how like in if they all come this rapid fire? No. So okay. So he had this kid recently then he had twins nine days before 
And then he welcomed a daughter in December. So he wait, whom, so he's got he's got he has four in a calendar year so far. With who he also shares a four year old son with, and then he has twins with Mariah. That's right, wow. he's got twins with Mariah. That is that is a super dude. So the, so he's got twins with Mariah, another kid, and then he has four in a calendar year. And we're not done. He's he's got like five months left. Who knows what's out there? I mean, it's just wild, wild, reckless behavior, Nick Cannon. I mean, he—that's I, a—that's a huge. I mean, starting with the like, what's Mariah's net worth? She's like <laughs> oh, up Jesus. there. Dude, I don't know, but smug, smug figured out a way to get there to a win. The amount, the amount she of is child seriously support, up there. The amount of child support he's gonna have to be paying for all of these yeah. kids—I'm not sure that's a win. You kind of—I mean, he that, makes good money. He makes really good money. But well, you reached that the tipping that, point. What that that masked singer yeah. or whatever? Yeah, mm-hmm. and the show's a huge hit. I mean, the guy's getting his money. And yeah. it's good for him. Nick yeah, Cannon he's getting winning. his money, and then it's going straight out the door. Yep. Well, <laughs> it's literally generational wealth. That's what this guy's building. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, what else do we have? Um, I mean, I don't even know. Okay, last last couple news, and then we'll get into some more heavy hitting stuff. But this is really for you, Holmes. Yeah. Um, your man Pete Davidson. Yes, dude, I love this guy. Um, he was seen with his new girlfriend Phoebe. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but she was on the show Bridgerton. But they were um, seen at their first public event appearance at Wimbledon this weekend. So this guy, they we, were seen kissing and laughing at the famed tennis tournament. We've covered this this guy before, but his deal is he's probably one of the, I don't know top ten most unattractive men who are consistently on television yeah right yeah Correct. I mean no question he's just like, not a very good like kind guy. of right behind Steve Buscemi yeah right he kind mm-hmm. of has a little bit of that mm-hmm. vacant eye he look. has all those like uh, tattoos you know I'm not a tattoo kind of guy he's got these like ridiculous tattoos which all over him. he is also in the news about because he's tra- he's getting them all laser removed all of them is he really yes, all of them he, said, he has sleeves he says it's gonna take two years to get all of his tattoos removed why would he get them rem- oh he's crazy he's crazy but the thing that you got to know about him is the man puts up stats better than anyone in the biz. He really does. I mean, we had this, Phoebe, sh- this Phoebe girl is very attractive. I did not watch Bridgerton, but she uh, she's very she's smoke show. Very I mean, cute. if you look at a short list of the women that have dated Pete Davidson, this is, it's 100 yeah, percent. It. He sold his soul. Like you look <laughs> at this list. It's just like it's. Kaya Gerber, Cindy Crawford's daughter. Who Ari- looks exactly like her. Except hotter. Yeah. Um, Ariana Grande, Kate Beckinsale, and <laughs> Larry David's daughter, Cassie David, who's also very shockingly attractive, and you would not expect that. I, I remember the Kate Beckinsale thing. Like, it, it, I think it was in New York or L.A. They are just, like, walking out, and he just, like, takes Kate Beckinsale with him. <laughs> going with me. I mean, like, I just can't bro. And it. now Phoebe. It's just... The guy's oh, he's got a secret sauce Dude, somewhere. You know, it's just proof. I mean... If you're funny, you can get away with a yes. lot. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I guess. But he's not that funny. I mean, I guess he's kind of funny. He's kind of funny. I think he's like, um, he doesn't. He clearly doesn't take himself that seriously. And I think it's particularly disarming. Yeah. Sometimes just not trying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you that's know? it. I don't know. I don't want to come off like I'm actually criticizing him because I'm not. I, yeah. <laughs> I think this is the most amazing feat of accomplishment. Like, you remember in the early 90s when, like, Lyle Lovett, that old country singer, started dating uh, Julia Roberts? Julia Roberts. Yes. Everybody's like, what yes. in the world? And then he. it turns out he had, like, three or four connections to, like, super hot movie stars. And you're like, dude, what's going on with that? This guy's got the same thing going yeah, on. Yeah, he does. It's Nobody can actually figure it out. But I, I'll I'll wager to say that that list that you provided, Hen, yeah. probably the tip of the ice. Oh yeah, I think that's just within like the last couple of months, maybe like a year. What or something an amazing like that. feat of accomplishment! Yeah, 
Oh, I, I have I have one thing I wanted to add for the couple news is there was a photo of uh, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez out, and they're like, they're now wearing athleisure wear. So like his dude's rock mindset of like I'm not gonna wear anything but like sweatpants and t-shirt rubbing off. is spreading. However, wow. I would say you know that the the title of that um, picture was that that. Ben Affleck's getting buff again because J-Lo's making him get buff. Oh. And so I think that puts a little kink in the whole thing. No, dudes rock. That, no. Dude's no, getting in that, shape. No, dudes rock. She is, in fact... She's making, forcing him to get in no, good shape. She's providing him free training services. Totally. She's there you go. Dudes rock. Oh, That's a huge win. Huge I feel win. like you're never going to get these guys on No, one, and man. and quite frankly, too, to Pete Davidson, I feel like he's kind of the ultimate dudes win. Like, I have no words for that. Yeah, it's the ultimate it's just, dudes win. Nothing There's nothing there. Right. Um, so that's a lot of the couple news that we just ticked through. So the uh, the big news that was um, that came out this weekend was the New Yorker put out a very, very intense and long article on Britney Spears and her conservatorship. This was the Ronan Farrow piece. Yes, yes. And it's kind of, it really, it had details that, not, that have not come out before. And, you know, it really was a very good system systematic look like at her whole life too mm-hmm. and everything that led to where she is and, and where she is now i highly recommend the article let me just people. ask you because i know you, you went all the way through it is there anything in there that would justify what's been going on like is there anything that gave gave you pause no I, no not really and honestly so like i was of the opinion that back in the day you know i was like oh well you know the conservatorship did kind of save her life maybe you know it was good back when she was going through all these problems but after reading this article i actually changed my mind it should never have been put in place mm. not because she wasn't struggling and maybe had some things going on but after reading it it's like the extent of a conservatorship yeah too is, far is so far it's like what they should have done is you know what brit let's get you out of hollywood and back to louisiana for a moment and collect ourselves. How like, about that? Or like put a trust together, right? To exactly. Her money like or there something. were other the, there were other steps that could have been taken, and so now I'm of the opinion that like no, it never should have been. Obviously, we don't know what we don't know, and everybody always has to say that to like yeah. cover their tracks. But um, it was really eye opening. There's a couple of things that I would like to point out for the group um, of like first reported recently before she testified at the end of June. Spears herself called 911 to report herself as a victim of conservatorship abuse. Oh. So before she spoke for the first time to the court, this article was reporting that she called 911 to like so there is try to record. get them involved, involved hmm. which is pretty wild. Dude, didn't the conservatorship appoint the lawyer that's representing her? Yes. Yeah. Who, no wonder she had to call 911. Right. She can't trust her own lawyer. She can't trust anybody. So I read I read the whole article. I mean, it's 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 a very very long article because it goes in depth on everything and first off the last thing you want is ronan farrow investigating you because yeah. the dude like he gets, digs he gets in and he finds and, everything and people talk to him yeah wow. so so he got all this info one of them i think the like lawyer that like uh so the other thing is she's paying for all this all this comes right. out of her money right like the lawyer who essentially is is supposed to be her advocate i guess but is essentially being controlled by the conservatorship yes. you know it, i.e. her father um is paid something like four hundred and fifty eight thousand a year for his job and she is allowed what like only four hundred thousand so she has to pay her lawyer more More than her own salary more than she's allowed to take herself incredible and like she has a i I remember they also said she has like a a weekly allowance of money that she can spend of like two thousand dollars and she was like out at a meal with like 
Yeah. People on a tour, and she was like, I can't afford this. And oh she my was like, God. it was her hairdresser. And she was like, I can't afford to pay you right now. I only get $2,000, you know, whatever I mean, it was. So, so the thing is, is like something's going to happen on this. I mean, what I, what I think mystifies me the most is all of these judges sort of dismissing, you know, her complaints and her mm-hmm. attempts to get out and without any real explanation. Right. Right. And, and you know, you, you want to assume they're not explaining because they're trying to withhold details that would be damning or whatever, which is why you have to say, we don't yeah. know what we don't know. Yeah. But without any more detail, I guarantee you there's going to be a legislative active yeah. action on this. And so, whether it happens in California, whether it happens federally, there's no way that you can demonstrate that a person as big and famous as Britney Spears can be entire their life entirely ripped away from them yeah. in America without any sort of she's due not, process. She's not even allowed to own her own cell phone. And the article talks about how she had to steal other people's cell phones and get people to drop her off burner phones so she can make a phone call. She can't drive her own car. I mean, I mean, it's it's just. And I, the article closed with this really. I, I think it was a great. Uh, I thought it was it was this overarching thought that went that weaved through the entire article of where it said that like part of being a person and living life is making mistakes and being able to learn from them. And the thing with this conservatorship is like, let's say they it goes away, and I don't know, she, something happens bad, right? That'll be that's gonna be used like, oh, well, I guess she needed a conservatorship, right. you know? So it's like there's no way for her it's to get out and live a normal life because no matter what, they'll be like, oh, see, th- this is what happens when we aren't controlling her life. It's 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 horrific situation. They talked about the dignity of risk in the article. Yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. we all have. We should have the dignity and the ability to, to take risks and to make mistakes and not be yeah. totally. But I have to say, as I'm, as I'm reading all of this stuff, and this was kind of tweeted about too, I can't remember who tagged me in it, but the conservatorship, I started to think in my crazy brain, is a little bit of a metaphor for how Democrats want to run things. Oh. You know, it's like they want, they think they know what's best. Oh, that's great they want to They want to be in control of your money, of your person, of your culture, of everything else. And and all under the auspice of, we don't want you to make a mistake. We don't want you to fail. So we'll come and do this for you. God, that's good. We'll give you an allowance. Right, exactly. For all the trouble, we'll take more than you. Here's your $2,000 check, (laughs) pat you on the head. Right, so I'm just saying all these, you know, take note, people. That's so good, Hen. That's Well, listen, you only get that kind of analysis here on the Variety Program. That's right. Outstanding. I love it. Thank you, Hollywood Hen. Thank you for all of it. Next update, uh, July 14th is the next hearing. So. Ah. Got it. Got it. Perfect. All right. That was a hell of an update. Um, all right. I, I have to, we have to run a quick victory lap of the Supreme court at the end of last week. We didn't get a chance to comment on it. Made two decisions that made libs. Absolutely. Their heads explode. Yeah. I mean, explode. What's his name? Uh, Milhouse in Milhouse or whatever. Everyone Milhouser. calls him Milhouse. He, he was like, I am too traumatized <laughs> by these Supreme court decisions. I'm like taking some days off Twitter. It's like, man, so there were a fair number of conservatives that were wringing their hands like, when are we going to get the good, you know, Supreme Court decisions that we all sort of like, you know, banked on because but judges and all that stuff. Well, they came. They showed up. There were two big ones. The first one, which everybody should be incredibly focused on, was an Arizona decision that was challenging, essentially, if they could legislate things like banning uh, vote ballot harvesting, right, right, or implementing voter ID, mm-hmm. right, really, like, 
uninvasive procedures that basically just try to get the integrity of a vote, right? But, of course, that was tied up in court, and it went to the Supreme Court, and they said, of course, of course you can ban ballot harvesting. And the left went bonkers. Bonkers. I mean, bonkers. But it wasn't even just the left. If you read the news coverage, what they would say is this, almost every article Mm -hmm. said, we have opened up a new era where the court is allowing restrictions on voting. Right. Restrictions. It's a restriction on voting if a Democratic operative can't knock on your front door and demand your ballot from you. Hand you a ballot. Yeah. Let you make you fill it out and then take it back. Right. And do that thousands of times. Thousands of times. I mean that's a voter restriction. That's a voter their, restriction. In their minds. A voter ID. Yeah. Having an ID to prove you are who you are is a restriction. <laughs> I also I also want to touch on that real quick because so you had uh, this weekend James Clyburn, uh, congressman from South Carolina was like, you know what, I think I'm open to voter ID, <laughs> which is great when you see a, a, a Dem say that because like like I said they saw the polling right they saw the polling and and, and then you go back a couple years and and he said voter ID laws are Jim Crow. You yeah. know, that's been the message. And right. I think that's just like a, a microcosm of the entire Dem mindset right now is whatever they want to push, you know, their blitz is going to say, if you disagree, you're a racist. If, if you know, this policy is, is Jim Crow 2.0 or like Biden said it's more than Jim Crow, it's Jim Eagle, like whatever that means. <laughs> um, that's the, so they blitz you and say, oh, if you don't agree, you're a racist. And then they see the poll numbers, well, and they're become, like, oh, yeah, whoops. It's become a political tactic, as you just said, Smug. Yep. I, I, the casual nature by which Democrats feel comfortable accusing people of racism is truly alarming. It is. Truly alarming. We've, we've mentioned it here previously on the program, and it, back in the beginning of this conversation where, again, the president of the United States on national television in his press conference said that these you know, voting laws are Jim Crow 2.0, right. has never been asked to apologize for that or clarify that in light of everything that's happened since then. And these Democrats saying, oh, well, voter ID is okay, actually. No, they called it Jim Crow 2.0. And what we said at the time was that this is no longer a debate. This is a war, that we aren't actually having a debate about voting rights. When you have an opposition who will just call you racist, yep. there's well, no point in arguing. And that's why I'm so glad the court stepped in and did something smart and now, um, you know, states like Arizona can bring some integrity back into the process. Totally. I mean, and states are doing that. But but again, like just to revisit, Jim Clyburn went from Jim Crow to it sounds good. Yeah. In the course of two months on it's, voter ID. It's something else. I mean, this is supposed to be somebody we listen to for advice and thoughtful counsel on race relations. Right. This is the guy that Democrats point to and say, no, we have an adult who has thoughtful, like real world experience to rely on. Right. This is the guy that went in two for two months. He went from Jim Crow to it's okay. And the media, the media just ran with these talking points without ever stopping and thinking about how absurd they are on the, like how many years, how many years has the American public been told black people are incapable of getting themselves an ID? That's the most absurd, ridiculous argument, and it was treated as fact by these journalists. And now you're seeing the Dems who saw the polling realize, oh, we can't run with this made-up garbage anymore. It's going to hurt us but in the polls. But think about, think about seeing polling 
and making it change your mind about calling something or someone Jim Crow. Right. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just a conservative thing that these things cut deep. And like, you know, where I grew up, if you called somebody a racist, it's about as bad as anything you can call somebody. Yeah. Right. It's it's a it's a character flaw. It is it is telling and it is a problem for somebody if they are a racist. These guys throw it around about things that they don't actually believe. They're just political targets. And I think it's because they saw it's it's something it's a weapon that they could use, so they just completely weaponized it. I mean, it tells so you everything. everyone who disagrees is racist. Well, and That's so, their playbook. And I'm so glad uh, we have a guest on today who's going to talk on you know critical race theory because you know that's the next uh, fight here. Yeah. Um, and the people like Jim Clyburn, like you said, Holmes, who are supposed to look to for you know counsel on racial matters in this country is an abject liar. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the people pushing this critical race theory are the, are that as well, which is so sad, you know? I mean, the fact that, that just partisanship can shape, cause look, Clyburn has been a leader, right? He's the reason Joe Biden is president. He's a, he, yeah. He, he's the reason he won him the primary. And, and like, I don't, dis, I don't agree with a single thing of his politics, but it's hard to argue that he's not like one of the most prominent African-American voices in American politics. Right. He just is. But the fact that pure partisanship can talk somebody like that from Jim Crow to it's okay. Mm-hmm. Tells you everything that's wrong with the democratic party. I mean, that's, if you're willing to go there, that's the thing that, that it, I'm sorry, I'm getting worked up about it, but if you are known to try to be a sensible voice for this country to try to bind people together and you throw it away on something like a voter ID requirement, man, that says a lot about you. Yep. It says a lot about you. Sad. It's really disappointing. Um, all right. So the other case I'll just mention quickly was in California. Democrats have, have been trying for at least 15 years to try to do away with nonprofit activity whatsoever they want to disclose members or people who have contributed to nonprofits, right basically so they can just like troll them out of existence yeah, intimidate and, them shame them cancel them and all you the saw you cases see. out there where like i guess as the ceo of like sun micro gave to a catholic charity and then just activists at the company were like wow you gave to someone who we disagree with and they just pushed him out of a job yeah he was done right done. and this has happened all over the country well in california they tried to legalize it formally the AG Becerra, now the HHS guy, mm-hmm. tried to implement a, a a deal where you would actually have to disclose all of your donors, and he did implement it. Of course, they were sued in the Supreme Court, which is just awesome on First Amendment issues. Uh, just tossed it. Just it's so great, and they're tra- you know they've been trying to do this on the federal level. Yeah, as we've discussed. Yeah, that was the Disclose Act. The that Disclose they call it. Act. Yeah, and and the grand irony of this, of course, is that the left and you know their billionaire funders um contribute to a network of nonprofits that is like multiples like 3x 5x what there are what there is on the conservative side yep you know i mean that the the thing they in typical liberal fashion the thing that they complain about they're doing (laughs) yeah like one of their largest contributors is that swiss billionaire something who's giving like millions and millions to these like dark money groups but of course they're like oh no, no no see that's okay that's okay. It's because they want to target corporations. It's all about corporations. They want to target businesses that make investments in conservative causes. They could care less if they fund. I mean, if they fund the entirety of the Democratic Party, the neoliberals are 
fantastic. The same that. way that they did in, in Georgia with the like uh, All Star Game boycott. You know, that's what they're trying to do here. They want to name and shame. And then the irony is like there's there's precedent. Like the NAACP, Alabama. Yeah, they were protected their donor list because they're like we don't want people who give to us to face you know attacks. Yeah, in the late '60s, there were a bunch of challenges in Alabama to the NAACP to unveil their donor list. Well, you know what that was about. Yep. Right. Right. They, you know what that was about. And so the Supreme Court at the time said you can't do that. These guys are trying to do the same thing, and, I, and it, somehow it doesn't occur to them that that's what the same thing that's happening. Right. You know? It's just incredible. It's so funny. It's like that um, that meme you see, uh, woke and racist. We actually agree. <laughs> yes, <You know>? yes. <laughs> it's yeah. so funny. Oh, it's my like, gosh. So true. They're, they're the, they are the Ku Klux Klan. They don't even know it. They don't even know it. <laughs> All right, so uh, the next topic we got to get to because we we watched Biden roll to a G seven, and you know with his chest out saying he's going to tell Putin what to do about this ransomware attacks. I mean, just as a reminder, we had the Colonial Pipeline in America that shut down all fuel to the northeast of this country, basically crippled commerce for better part of a week, if not more. And then there was the largest meat packing plant or meat processing plant in the world that was hacked and it's all coming out of Russia evidently. And so Biden was like, all right, I'm going to take care of this. Well, that was like what? 10 days ago. He it's, it's, it's hilarious because you know, the press was like, Oh wow. Look at our brave and wise Biden out there. He's going to show Putin what's up. And like, uh, he rolls up to Putin and apparently tells him, Here's a list of 16 things that would be awful if, if you were to attack them. Right? Yeah, these should be off limits. Right? All yeah. these things. Just want to, I like, want you to know these are critical to our country. Yeah. Don't attack this them. Is, this is our, our most critical infrastructure, <laughs> and it would cripple us if you were to attack these. And Putin's like, you know what? Thanks for the take, Hey, thanks. Dude. Yeah, it's like giving a pedophile your, your kid's class schedule. <laughs> He's like, he, he, he gives him basically all the info that Putin would want. And then what happens? This is This is like... Straightforward from here, folks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it says, uh, massive ransomware attack. Uh, a broad array of businesses and public agencies were hit by the latest attack, apparently on all continents, including in financial services, travel, and leisure. Uh, though few large companies, the cybersecurity firm Sophos reported, ransomware criminals, they break in, they put in this malware, they demand money. Uh, apparently, there was a grocery store, I think it might have been in England, that also got hit by this. And none of the cash registers in their 200 locations worked. They, oh. they had to close down. Right? So, so two weeks two weeks after Biden's drawing a hard line, oh, yeah. Putin's yeah. like, oh, that's sweet. Thanks. Yeah, good, good Thanks, job. Thanks, old man. Yeah. And you're going to see a lot more of this. You're going to see a lot more of this. And, and they said that they're shifting their tactics because, like, in the case of that, like, uh, meatpacking place and, 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 the, and the oil pipeline, they were like, uh, we want $4 million in Bitcoin. These guys are demanding, like, they just hit a ton of companies, and they're only demanding, like, Forty-five thousand each only. So they just pay it. Yeah. So 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 that's a new approach. They're like trying to figure out the best way to get paid because they know Biden's asleep at the wheel. Let and me, told him, told him what to hit. Let me just say, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If I was president of the United States, there would not be a stoplight in Moscow that worked. Yeah. Until this stops, I would I would cripple every single thing on the internet. There would there would be no internet yeah. in Russia. Hell yeah. Right. Because why would you put up with this? Why why? There's no plausible deniability. This is, can you imagine if there, if our country had this crew that was just basically systemically taking down every bank in Europe, and we and they looked at us and we're like, ah, I don't well, know. I mean, we need to apply 
um, you know, the same rules of engagement with cyber crime that we did with terrorism. Exactly. In Afghanistan. That's my point. If you harbor these people, you're aiding and abetting terrorism. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and that should be the message to Putin. Of course, you know, when, when Donald Trump was president, you know, there was a lot of hemming and hawing. Oh, gosh. You know, he's not being forceful enough with Vladimir Putin. Well, here's Biden being asked, uh, you know, on July 3rd, he was asked, um, you know, is, is Putin behind this? He says he's not sure. Not he's sure. Not sure. Not sure. Not sure. And everyone's like, oh, <laughs> it's but not sure is not good enough. It's happening in his country. Right. It doesn't matter if he's connected to it or not. I'll right. tell you this. None of this happened under Trump. The media pushed this like fake, absolute garbage Russia narrative. Because they needed they needed some reason to tell them why Hillary lost, and her and Yuratana essentially cooked up this like whole Russia hoax of my God, Vladimir Putin took over our election. The election was hijacked, and Donald Trump is a secret KGB agent, and that's why he's soft on Russia. Yeah, okay, he put missile silos in Eastern Europe, right? Putin's not a fan of that. None of these ransomware attacks happened under Trump. Meanwhile, you've got Biden who shows up. Any situation where he's not just walking up to a counter and ordering ice cream, he just falls on his face. <laughs> the guy, think about Even this. Even that was a little bit of a high wire act, I'll he be honest. He told Putin, this is our most critical infrastructure. This yeah. is how you would screw us. And everyone, all the media is like clapping like seals, like, good job. Good work, Joe. Fantastic. Anyway, it's something to keep an eye on. This is only going to become a bigger story. Mm -hmm. This is only going to, until it is actually addressed in some meaningful way, Maybe by a future president. Honestly, I think I think uh, I think it's a big deal. Anyway, let's get to our interview. Uh, this is Chris Rufo, who, gosh, for those of you who don't know him, he's one of the most thoughtful, sort of intellectual leaders of a modern right, and he didn't come that. You know, we've talked to a lot of guests actually who they were like, "Yeah, I was a huge." huge liberal as a progressive. And then all of a sudden they looked around and yeah, none of this made sense. Dave to me. Rubin, perfect example. Exactly. Yeah. Dave Rubin was a perfect example. Well, this is another perfect example. He, he, he talks about it, but he did like, you know, documentaries for PBS for crying out loud. And, and now here he is sort of at the forefront of trying to push back on critical race theory. Chris Rubin. I want to welcome to the program uh, Chris Rufo. He's an award-winning director and a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Chris, how are you? Doing very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Listen, um, you might very well be the number one enemy of the progressive left right now. <laughs> I mean, how did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. You know, those those used to be all of my friends and colleagues. I spent uh, 10 years as a documentary filmmaker. I was very much immersed in the world of the left, um, uh, had a big change of heart, and now I find myself totally sideways to it. And uh, and uh, you know the 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 really the the number one target right now, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I know that's probably scary to a lot of people. The idea that you'll be you know placed <laughs> in that position, uh, but for me, it's been a lot of fun. It's really tested my skills, tested my wits, tested my courage, and uh, I'm loving it. So, for those of you who don't know the background here, the progressive left basically accuses Chris of entirely manufacturing the outrage over critical race theory. And the reality is, is that he's been leading the fight and trying to show, shine a light on what's happening in school districts, basically what's happening all across this country with regards to critical race theory. And you have really pushed some buttons, my man. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, what I've been doing almost actually for almost exactly a year now is uh, original reporting uh, that's always based on source documents that are leaked to me from whistleblowers or leaked to me from sources within institutions. Uh, I did a number of stories on the federal government that led President Trump to issue an executive order to ban these critical race theory trainings from the government. Uh, when Joe Biden won the presidency, I shifted over into education. I broke a series of, I think, 13 or 14 stories showing exactly what's happening inside the classroom using documents, videos, hard evidence. And these stories exploded and they really ignited uh, this fight where now we see uh, parents all over the country rallying at school board meetings saying, get this divisive uh, race theory curriculum out of these schools. Um, and I think what's happened is that it's really, it's really kind of put a spotlight on exactly what's happening with hard evidence that can't be debated. These are original documents. You can read them yourself. I always post all of the materials in their original format. And it's a supreme embarrassment for the ideologues of the left because the material is so atrocious. Mm -hmm. Even the New York Times, even the New Yorker, even you know other publications, they're so embarrassed by it. When they, even when they're attacking me, for being the messenger, they say, well, this stuff is bad. This stuff <laughs> does, does actually not work. This is pretty offensive. We don't like, we don't like this stuff. Um, so they have this really funny simultaneous motion where they're, they're attacking me with one hand, but they're also retreating uh, on the other hand. And, and I think consequently, they haven't landed any punches against me. And I just keep beating them up over and over every time I release a new story. Well, their, their go-to, is it seems to me, is to just sort of deny the existence, right? They're like, oh, well, you know, I may have found a source document somewhere with some crazy person that put it out. But it, it, this isn't real. It's not widespread. And then you keep com coming back for more and coming back for more and showing on, like, without a doubt that it's happening in a widespread manner. And yet you continue to hear from the left, wow, this is not really. Rufo's making this up. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean – the idea is like critical race theory is, is not taught in K through 12 schools. It's like, it's like critical race theory is Bigfoot uh, or it's the <laughs> Loch Ness Monster. I mean, it's like, you know, they want you to think critical race theory is, you know, the federal government is investigating it with their UFO, you know, <laughs> I mean, but the evidence is really clear. And I think not only in my reporting, and that's why I released a lot of reports. I wanted to release a large body of evidence and then this is spun off now other journalists at the Daily Caller, at the Daily Wire, at National Review, at Real Clear Politics. It's spun off into its own genre where there's now a lot of different reporters writing on this. So we've collected hundreds of examples. My own personal database of leaked sources is about 5,000 people, hmm. which suggests that this is very widespread, given that I'm only one person and, you know, people sending this to me. But everyone knows this. I mean... If you are a parent in the United States today and you have kids in public school, you've seen the emails, you've seen the curricula, you've seen the school board minutes. I mean, people really know what's happening. And I think what I did is not so much, you know, invented it. That's the idea. Oh, he invented this kind yeah. of fictitious thing. It's like, no, I explained it to people because parents all year since the death of George Floyd, since the lockdown, since... They started having a window into classrooms because of remote education. Parents intuitively understood something was happening in their kids' classrooms, in their workplace, in their churches, in their local institutions, but they didn't have the vocabulary to speak about it. 
And what I did is I gave them a framing. I said, all of these ideas that you're your moral sense is, is setting off an alarm bell. You're saying, this doesn't feel right. This seems wrong. This is upsetting. This, 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 isn't, this isn't what we should be having in our institutions. But I said, all of these ideas, these kind of seemingly disparate things derive from the un- overarching framework of critical race theory. Here's what critical race theory is. Here are the core concepts. Here are the core texts. Here's how it relates to all these curricula. These are the words and phrases and, and, and language that you should use in talking about it. And it gave a lot of people confidence because these are racial issues, very hard for people to discuss, very frightening for people to discuss. And I think what I did is I framed it, I explained it, and then I provided language for people to speak about it with confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no question about it. And maybe maybe you can do that for our audience a little bit. I mean, the problem that we have, as you just suggested, with all of these issues, is very difficult to talk about, particularly when you're shouted down by a progressive left for even sort of getting in the vicinity of this conversation. What What's the bumper sticker for you of critical race theory? Yeah, I, I think, you know, and if you want to dig more, I actually put together a briefing book. It's available on my website. You can just type in critical race theory briefing book on Google. I think it'll be the first hit. But you have to understand a couple of key things. One is just to know what critical race theory is. So how do you define critical race theory? Critical race theory is an academic discipline uh, that holds that the United States was founded on white supremacy and racial oppression, and that those forces are still at the root of our society today. So consequently, critical race theorists argue that all American institutions, even though they pay lip service to freedom and equality and other values, are really just mechanisms and camouflages for naked racial oppression. And that is the ultimately reducible variable of all social experience in the United States. The other key component of critical race theory is that it's, it really is, is derives from the philosophical tradition of Marxism and and revives this Marxist idea of the oppressor and the oppressed. But instead of the class categories of the proletariat and the bourgeoisie or the worker and the capitalist, they've replaced those with the racial categories of black and white. So you can think of critical race theory as a form of race-based Marxism. And if you wanna have a phrase that is just three words, race-based Marxism, I think is accurate, it's punchy, it's effective. Uh, and, And then you can go through all of those core concepts. And a lot of the stuff is, you know, in a school, they may not say, hey, kindergartners, we're teaching a lesson on critical race theory. But you know it's critical race theory if it traffics in the core concepts of critical race theory. So if you hear white privilege, whiteness, white fragility, internalized white supremacy, systemic racism, equity, anti-racism, unconscious unconscious bias, not so much, but a whole series of these phrases that you've probably heard a lot about gone into hyperdrive in the last year. Most of those phrases are derived from the literature and the work of the critical race theorists. That's just amazing. That, that that's a, a great explanation it's distilled down as I've I've heard it. I gotta ask you, you you've had an incredible career, right? You you're a documentarian, you you had a bunch of stuff going on. I'm sure you did not see yourself as leading this fight. And how did you get into it? How did you know that it was going to be of such significance to what you ultimately have done with your life over the last year? Yeah, I didn't. It re- it was really um, by accident. And I think that 
life works that way. And, and you know, I'm a, a, a filmmaker, a documentarian, a storyteller, a writer. And um, I think what's important is that is is that life uh, you can't plan everything in your life things happen and you have to adjust you have to seize the moment when it when it arrives and this all happened because I received a tip I was reporting a lot on on homelessness in in West Coast cities uh, so I had developed a reputation as a critic of some of these homelessness policies that mm-hmm. you find in Seattle and LA and San Francisco and from that uh, a source reached out to me and he, and, and he or she said um Hey, Chris, you really need to look at the interrupting whiteness and internalized white supremacy training program that's conducted by the city of Seattle's Office of Civil Rights. (laughs) And and it was outside of my beat, but it it sparked my interest. It says, wow, this seems just from the title alone, this seems very odd, you know, that they would be putting all of these city employees through this program. So I filed a records request. I got the records request back uh, over time. And it was like unlocking a, a, a uh, it was unlocking this hidden world of ideology mm-hmm. that was not only shocking in the content, but also shocking in the context because it's, at, it's administered by a city government, not by a religious cult or a uh, kind of, uh, you know, the Black <laughs> Panther Party. Uh, I mean, this is a office of civil rights. Yeah, it's a government office. A government office that is trafficking and racial stereotypes, racial scapegoating, uh, uh, and and these kind of really pernicious uh, tropes and stereotypes. And I was kind of wondering at that time, well, what should I do about this? So I said, you know what, I'll write a piece for City Journal, I'll throw it on Twitter, see what happens. And the story just exploded. Yeah. And, And it exploded like nothing I had ever done before. And then I thought, wow, that's kind of an interesting thing. It's maybe a one-off cool thing that happened, um, uh, you know, made the rounds in the media. It was, it was a kind of fun couple, couple weeks, I guess, that the story was alive. But then something else happened. I started getting tens, twenties, hundreds, and then thousands of leakers and whistleblowers from other institutions across the country. Hmm. And I realized this isn't a one-off. This isn't something that's just in the city of Seattle. This is something that's happening under the surface everywhere, including <laughs> in the high, at the highest levels of the federal government. And then I basically said, this is the direction I'm going. I'm going to chase this story and see where it ends up. Amazing. Well, you've done an incredible job. You, you wrote a, an op-ed last week that was basically urging, amongst other things, urging parents to, to continue their fight because we've seen as a result of your reporting and I think subsequent interest across the country, whole lot of parents showing up at school boards with renewed interest in this topic. And, and we've seen it on cable news and everything else. I mean, these, these are starting to be heated and at very least parents seem engaged in this. Where do you think we are in terms of this fight? Is this a, you know, are parents winning this fight? Is sanity beginning to prevail or, you know, are we just kind of continuing to, to roll a boulder up a hill? Yeah, I, I'm very optimistic. I mean, I, I didn't expect this reaction, frankly. Um, I was reporting, especially on schools starting in January. I did, you know, a report a week just to try to drum up uh, information, drum out, get out the information I think the series of reports that I did generated about 250 million direct media impressions. So they really changed the conversation. They really reached a lot of people. Um, But I had no idea that that reporting, plus a lot of other people who are working on this issue, obviously not just me alone, 
um, would lead to this grassroots revolt. I mean, it really is a <laughs> grassroots revolt. It's multiracial. You see parent groups that are, uh, uh, you know, white, black, Asian American, Hispanic. Uh, all of the different racial groups are now rallying to this fight. You see it as a bipartisan thing. It's not just in red states and red school districts and suburban areas. It's in midtown Manhattan. It's in downtown Los Angeles. It's in the city of San Francisco. So you see this incredibly broad coalition that's forming and they're taking action with no direction, with no coordination, with no organizing. It has generated so much enthusiasm, so much heat that people are inspired to take action. And for me, it's just been, it's been a revelation. It's been inspiring because you, you realize that the world is, is still functions as it should. Parents should be involved in their kids' education. Parents should care what's being taught in the schools. And voters and taxpayers should be the ultimate authorities over public institutions, especially public schools. And I think that what we're seeing is there's a fight, not just about critical race theory. The fight is truly about who rules. Does the bureaucracy rule? Do the unelected diversity and inclusion commissars rule? Or do the people rule? Do voters rule? Do taxpayers rule? Do parents rule? And the dynamic is fighting over the issue of critical race theory. But the institutional challenge right now is really one of who gets to decide in our democracy. And I am absolutely heartened and fired up that the American people, despite what they've been through, especially lately, uh, especially with lockdowns and other efforts that have really demoralized people, are now starting to say, you know what, these are our schools, this is our money, uh, these are our kids, and we're going to actually decide what happens in our institutions. And uh, there's nothing that's more American, that's more democratic, that's more uh, that's more inspiring than that. Yeah, well said. Well said. You love to see it. Um, one of the things that I've really appreciated about the way you've conducted yourself during this entire um, year plus that you've been doing this is that you're willing to go talk to anybody, right? It, this is not, <laughs> you know, not showing up on primetime and Fox News exclusively. You went to Joy Reid at MSNBC. And I, I mean, if most people who've heard your name they probably heard your name during the context of that interview. But I mean, you had to know when you go in and you're talking to somebody like Joy Reid about critical race theory, she's going to act like a lunatic and let you, yet you still showed up and, and, and traded blows. I mean, it was really impressive. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I mean, I think that there's something to be said for engaging the other side. For a long time, the other side refused to engage with me. Uh, but I think as this issue has really dominated headlines, um, they've decided that they want to engage, they want to take some shots, and uh, I'm willing to get in the ring. You know, I, I'm happy to go on Joy Reid, I'm happy to go on Mark Lamont Hill, uh, I'm organizing, maybe, hopefully we'll see how the details work out, some other appearances on what I think are, you know, hostile media. <laughs> I love that you love it, that's great. I had, I had the New Yorker come out and visit me in my home, in my hometown, write a profile, and I'm not afraid of these folks. And I think that what I've learned and my strategy is if you're going to engage with me in good faith, in a debate or a discussion, I'm going to be open. I'm going to be uh, willing to make concessions, willing to make arguments, willing to engage uh, in, in the same spirit of good faith and, and, and productive disagreement. Uh, I think the New Yorker profile was, was fair. I really yeah. respect the reporter, Ben Wallace-Wells. I was very open with him. I spoke for him for I spoke to him for four hours, 
didn't censor myself, was very uh, open. And then there are people like Joy Reid uh, <laughs> who aren't very open or the Washington Post, which wrote this, this atrocious hit piece against me. That was incredible, by the way. Like that, I'm gonna come at you 10 times harder. I mean, yeah. I can be the nicest and most open and genuine guy, uh, but if you come after me, I'm going to make you pay a price. And the Washington Post, for example, wrote this hit piece that was filled with obvious falsehoods. And I attacked them relentlessly <laughs> until they retracted or added six paragraphs in the story. They reversed a key claim. They admitted to fabricating a key timeline. Uh, they, 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 they made this claim that saying that, all, uh, that virtually all white people contribute to racism isn't the same <laughs> thing as saying that all white people are racist. I mean, at the end of the time that I started beating up on the Washington Post, they actually had to dispatch their vice president of communications to do damage control. <laughs> uh, because I had Talk to- about regret. <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's how this is, though. I mean, it's it's you have to you have to, you, you, you can't be a one dimensional human being. Yeah. You can't just argue and fight. You can't just kind of uh, be conciliatory and be genuine. You have to be able to modulate. You have to be able to dance. And uh, I think it's been. It's sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. I mean, sometimes it's frightening, right? You have all these media organizations coming after you. You know, you get that kind of feeling in your stomach. Like, all right, let's let's gear up for this. This is my first time going through the national media gauntlet, but it's been fun to train. I mean, it's like you know, it's like intellectual street fighting. I mean, you yeah. really are training for it, and you're really getting out there. And you know, I, I'm sure eventually I'll take some hits, I'll take some blows, but uh, so far uh, I've been able to outmaneuver these folks and. I think conservatives should have confidence that, uh, um, especially on an issue like this, uh, most people are on our side, uh, that the facts and evidence and truth are also on our side. And the key virtue that's required is courage. And if you have that, uh, you can really make a difference in this, uh, in this today's politics. Well, well said, Chris. You're the uh, the warrior that sane people need in insane times. So we really appreciate it. I got three big questions for you that we ask all of our guests. This is we're going to get to know you a little bit, right? So this is like, you know, we, we learned all the good stuff. Now we're going to get to the who's Chris, right? So your, sir, your last meal on earth, what would it be? Oof, my last meal on earth, you know, it's a strange thing, you know. I, I'm Italian and uh, grew up in an Italian household, ate a lot of Italian food. But my wife is Thai, and uh, and she she's like converted me to Thai food over the years. So yeah. I, I would say my last meal would be a huge, like Thai banquet with all of the good uh, Thai delicacies. That's pretty good. She must be a pretty persuasive person for an Italian. Yeah. Go from Italian guy. If you're not going with Italian food, she's got to be pretty a persuasive. A lot tougher than the New York Times and a lot tougher <laughs> than Washington Post. She's very tough. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. So second question. If you never got into this, let's say if you never got into like documentary filmmaking and, and the storytelling aspect of what you're, you've been doing, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? You know, I, I wonder, it's like alternate histories, right? I, I wonder what I would have done. I mean, I think that uh, there was a time I thought I might be a music producer. Uh, mm -hmm. That was kind of, I was coming out of college. I was kind of deciding what to do. And uh, um, I was a musician. I love music. I have an eye for kind of production. And uh, I think in another life, had certain things gone a different way, uh, that's probably what I would be doing. That's an interesting answer. That's a good one too. So you're always in the production though. I mean, the production piece of it is a key component to who you are. <laughs> That's right. All right. Third question. And this one boils it down. Uh, what motivates Chris Rufo more? 
the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Yeah, I mean, the thrill of victory, it has to be that because, um, you know, I, I, I think that I don't view the agony of defeat as a permanent state of being. I think that defeat is always temporary and you really want to reach for that victory. And I think one of the things that especially conservatives need to understand and to feel is that, 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 that feeling of victory, that feeling of winning, that feeling of moving the ball down the field. And I think conservatives have been playing defense for so long that they've internalized and maybe we've internalized uh, this sense of forestalling defeat or slowing down a kind of slow losing. Um, but what I'm trying to demonstrate to people through my actions and through my collaboration with lawmakers is we can actually take initiative and go on offense. And it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more exciting. Uh, and actually we can change the country for the better and we can deliver uh, greater autonomy and control uh, and confidence for, for American families that desperately need some new leadership. And they're desperate to, to be protected against these ideologies that are coming uh, from above and trying to impose themselves on most people. Um, and that really, I think, is what motivates me as I've thought about this issue. It's like, I think about my neighbors, I think about my friends, I think about people in my community. Um, and I think, what can I do to protect their interests, to protect their families, to protect their values? Um, and that keeps me going and that keeps me excited every day. Well, you're doing it, buddy. And I couldn't be more uh, proud of the work that you're doing. Listen, come on anytime, update us anytime. You got new stuff, you want to come back. We'll chat again. I've really enjoyed this. Chris Rufo, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Josh. So that guy's smart. Good interview. I mean, that guy's really, really smart. And, you know, I th the thing I, I was interested to get his take on was, you know, how'd you get into this? How did you mm -hmm. sort of fall into a, a place where you went from producing documentaries for PBS and being a scholar at the Manhattan Institute to being like enemy number one on the left? And, you know, his explanation about that, the, the government of Seattle and the material that they were putting out having just opening his eyes i mean that's really that's important stuff he's he's really doing good work i think the thing that's very interesting about the critical race theory you know f debate right now or basically the fight over it in our schools is you know the left can't really decide whether it exists mm -hmm. or if it's a thing you know that is good you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, no. and, and they, they can't they cross back and forth. Right, right. They can't decide whether critical race theory is is even a thing, right? <laughs> right. But and, and you know, um, one thing I wanted to add into this is that uh, now they're sort of saying the quiet part loud. Uh, the NEA, the largest teachers union yep. uh, in the country, has has put out a a new document vowing to fight back against the fight critics. Back. Yeah, the critics of, of critical race theory. So at least now, you know, they're admitting it's a thing that exists and that they're trying to force on all of our children. At um, least we have that when they say it doesn't exist. Right, right, <laughs> right. I just think, you know, this is a thing that is obviously not going away. And so, you know, we'll keep. It's racism. It is. That's what it is. It's it racism. Is. It is. It's judging somebody entirely on the color of their skin. And I don't know what happened somewhere between the 1950s and today where all of a sudden all the progress that could, that could have been made 
was evaporated and turned into a full racial yeah you saw Columbia had their like uh, during their graduation they're like we want to have a separate graduation for our black students for our white students for our Asian students it's I, like I, what yeah. separate but equal it's, 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 again, it's again it's separate so, but equal woke, woke and racist we I actually wanna, agree like, I literally <laughs> want to be like if you guys yeah. heard of Brown v. Board yeah did you ever hear of that Supreme Court decision like right. I, that it's 50 years ago right. 60 years ago and that is the great irony of this whole thing is that the people saying we don't teach history about race in America. Yeah, that's nuts. It is not only nuts, but they seem to be the most ignorant of our basic history on this topic. Totally. Yeah. You know they're supposed I mean? to be the educators too. Right. That's the horrific part. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway, it's a good episode, fellas. Yeah. Banger of an episode. Good to have everyone back after the Fourth of July. Hope everyone had a great holiday. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.